Hello and welcome to Japan on Fire, Studio Ghibli edition, one of many. I'm your host, Stuart Sutherland, and joining me tonight, we've got Ken. Hello, everybody. Yes. It's Japan on Fire 5-1, I guess, or 5-2, or something like, or, or something like that. Yeah, we need a better system. It's, a dash, <laughs> it's the dash system. Mm-hmm. As long as it doesn't get to 5, like, dash 1.5. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) anyway, yes, welcome back to Japan on Fire. Um, First off, let's get this out the road. If you want to get in contact with our show, you get us through all the social means. uh, Twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. Facebook.com, just type podcast on fire in the search bar. I will get a URL set up one day, but... Can't be asked now. Um, of course, you could always get us through the good old-fashioned way of email. Yes, podcast on fire at googlemail.com, and we'll get in touch with you. Of course, if you do just want to have a general chit-chat with us, hop onto our forums at podcastonfire.com forward slash forums. And competing with 365 movies in 365 days. The competition that is officially ended. But you can still compete. Yes. See, see if you can beat me. I'm up to 300. Slowly but surely. I had like a month's worth of entries to add on to it. I was like, what did I watch that month? <laughs> like this, this, this. Then I found like the Get Glue app where I checked in all these films and it was like 30. I forgot to put on. It's like, fuck, uh, fuck, 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 fuck. Well, you've but, lost to our good friend, Drunken Master, who's up to about 700 by now. So. Yes, he's fucking doubled it and just put anyone else to shame. The man somehow manages to like work a job and raise a family. And, like, dude just probably doesn't sleep. And he has a good, he has good taste in movies as well, you know. So. Well, that's questionable. Oh. Well, well, controversy. <laughs> we don't like you, listener, because you are not of our taste. That's cool, that's cool. You watch uh, Young and Dangerous all is well. Yeah, you watch Lifeline but... and Johnny Doe movies and whatever, but <laughs> screw that. Yeah, tonight is not about any of what we just said. Tonight is about uh, Laputa, Castle in the Sky. And really, picking up for where we finished on the last episode, we're going to basically discuss uh, Hayao Miyazaki's uh, biography leading up to uh, Castle in the Sky. Yeah, essentially the story so far about the the great immortal man. I mean, he must be, I don't know, what is he, 80 or 90 by now? Oh, uh, if I did research, I would, <laughs> yeah, I would yeah, have an answer for you. Still, yeah, but he looks so, you know, he, he looks good. He's mm-hmm. 70, by the way. So, uh, And he's the sort of dude that is for years everyone's been saying, oh, for years he's been saying, right, I'm retiring after this film. Like, eh, I've got this one. I still want to do this one still. This is right, I've got to retire now. Mm, maybe no, I'll come back and do another. But it's not <laughs> as depressing as a fucking, you know, heavy metal band saying, like, it's, uh, it's the last tour, and then it's reunion tours, and reunion tours, and they get up to 65 or 70 years old, and their voices do not, you know, hold the same power anymore, and it gets so depressing, depressing. But, for Miyazaki, he you know, he he puts out the quality, mm-hmm. to, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'm seeing Iron Maiden next month, so I, I still highly expect, like, Bruce Dixon and the guys to get wheeled out in their chairs onto the stage. 
Well, compared to the likes of Judas Priest, at least, you know, Dickinson <laughs> still has his voice intact. I mean, yes. it could be questionable that Rob Halford should have quit ages ago, but uh, what do I know? I'm not a fan, so. Mm-hmm. But tune into our music podcast on Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> Judas Maiden on fire. <laughs> Me and Ken's got to be taking shots, uh, reading all of this backlog of information onto it. So let's see. Hayao Miyazaki is, as mentioned, the co-founder, along with Aizo Takahata, of, stu- of Studio Ghibli, and a manga artist, film director, and animator of many of their popular anime feature films. It's a career that's lasted nearly 50 years and keeps on going, and Miyazaki has achieved international acclaim through his movies such as Princess Mononoke and the Academy Award winner Spirited Away in 2002. Miyazaki's success and influence has sparked comparisons to the likes of the American animator Walt Disney, Wilson Gromit creator Nick Park, and as well as uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit's uh, Robert Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis. That guy. He began his career at Toei Animation, working as an artist on the 1965 animated feature uh, Gulliver's Travels Beyond the Moon. And some of his pitched ideas actually became uh, the movie's ending. He became a feature-length anime director with 1979's uh, Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro. The success of his 1984 film Nosca, Valley of the Wind, uh, led to mention led to mention founding his own animation studio and production company, Studio Ghibli. Or Ghibli. I'll, I will never get it right. Who? We will never find out during this podcast what it is, but uh, everybody will know what it is when we mention it. It's not like it's uh, we're mixing it up with a uh, hardcore porn, oh, oh. porn company or something like no. that. No. <laughs> Ghibli! <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Oh, man, I just went to a dark place. <laughs> so, um... His fifth feature at the company, uh, Princess Mononoke from 1997, meant a temporary retirement before blasting into the scene with his Academy Award winner Spirited Away in 2002 again. It was via Princess Mononoke the larger claim in the West took place as Miramax released it, and the claimed and continued releases of his old and new work in the West was cemented as high acclaim in the West. Much thanks to the distribution done by many of his movies by the Walt Disney Company. Yes, apparently some controversy somewhere in all of this that we might reach in terms of the release of Prince and Mononoke, but I haven't mm-hmm. yet made the, um, the research about that. But uh, uh, you, you can sum it up th- this way. I don't think the movie was butchered, and that's all that matters at this point. You know, the movie was released as is uh, around the world, you know. So it wasn't a Miramax case. <laughs> but, 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 but I'm curious to uh, hear what that was when we reached that. But uh, a little bit more in detail about Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, as a child, he developed a fascination for airplanes and aviation, and that is something that's clearly evident in tonight's movie, Laputa Castle in the Sky, and, uh, and other movies as well, mm-hmm. where you can see the various forms of aircrafts visible throughout the film, uh, very creative uh, aircrafts, uh, almost uh, seems like his own creations, creations sometimes. But uh, as I'll talk about, Miyazaki and Ghibli pulls uh, reference and ins- references and inspiration from all over the world, uh, which is one of the coolest things about uh, watching these movies. It's not 
strictly Japanese. Uh, in high school, he decided to become a manga artist, and it's it seems like it was possibly influenced by seeing the film Haku Jaden, which is also known as The Tale of the White Serpent or The White Snake Enchantress, which has been described as Japan's first feature-length color anime, which was released in 1958, and based on a folk tale from Chinese mythology. And uh, I saw this film actually uh, last year, I think. It was released on German DVD. And it's it's rather cool, actually. It's well done. It has... You, you can see the Walt Disney influence because it has uh, talking animals and singing animals as well. And it's rather cool. If Chinese mythology is based on it, you can connect to movies like Green Snake, the Troy Hawk movie. It's uh, that you know, the snake uh, story, if you will. I don't know <laughs> too much, but uh, it's uh, it's rather cool that it has uh, influences all over the place, uh, even in 1958 in, in Japanese animation industry. So, so continuing with the theme of Miyazaki being fascinated with planes, uh, it, it said he actually was more apt at drawing that than people at one point. But uh, you, you you can probably see that he started his craft eventually and uh, and started to learn drawing the human figure over time so rather than just stick to one thing and be you know pigeonholed into one thing uh, so uh, there you go and several key roles on other landmark animated films other than the ones uh, still mentioned includes Hall's Prince of the Sun in 1968 directed by Isao Takahata with whom he collaborated uh, over the next uh, three decades with at uh, Ghibli mm-hmm. and an early example of his and Ghibli's strive to look for global audiences for the films is uh, the following. Uh, Miyazaki and Takahata actually did pre-production on a Pippi Longstocking series as well as, uh, and, and did that included therefore meeting the original author, Astrid Lindgren, Swedish author, yay! <laughs> but uh, this project was never made ultimately. And, uh, we, we, we have seen actually animated, uh, either an animated movie or an animated Pippi Longstocking series, but I don't think that ever came out of Japan, but I do remember seeing a poster of it uh, sometime, but uh, in like the 90s maybe? <laughs> but uh, I was more fond of the uh, movies and the TV series that I saw as a kid. The, the live action uh, TV series of uh, Pippi Longstocking. That was rather cool. So, do, are you familiar with Pippi Longstocking still? Vaguely. I think it was ah. just like uh, after school television here. Yeah, it should still be mm-hmm. popular children's books, I think. Uh, Astrid Lingi really tapped into that quite nicely. Uh, appealing to kids and, and, and adults, actually. So uh, it would have been cool to see the the, the Miyazaki stamp on Pippi Longstock, and I think mm-hmm. that would have been, he would have been, would have done well. But he did went on to make Lupin III, The Castle of Cagliostro in 1979. And... We jumped then ahead to Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind in 1984. And I haven't seen it yet, so I'm, I'm hoping this is right. The, this was an adventure film that introduced themes we would see later in his, in his film, such as concern with ecology and the human impact on the environment. Again, the continued fascination with aircraft and flight, mm-hmm. even, even feminism, and morally amb- ambiguous character characterizations, especially amongst villains. And uh, Nausicaa is actually the adaptation of his own manga series of the same name that he began writing and illustrating two years earlier. But completion of that took place during and after the making of Nausicaa. So uh, they go, you know, promoting his work across different kind of media, mm-hmm. Mo- movies and a and a and a comic strip, his comic strip, if you will. Um, have, have you uh, had a chance to see uh, Nausicaa? 
Yeah, that was one of the really early Ghibli films I managed to get my hands on after seeing Spirited Away. I think it was really just a case of renting everything mm-hmm. after seeing that film. And that was really the first one I'd shown to all my friends. Yeah. Well, the couple I hang around with all the time. Right. That really like struck their interest in Studio Ghibli as well. It's a... It, it's, it seems like it's one of the premium movies that wasn't made at Ghibli that has, yeah. uh, has subsequently been released under the Ghibli banner. Uh, because, you know, it, probably the, you know, the crew at, were, you know, at the top of the game during Nausicaa. It was not like it exploded from 0% to 100% during Laputa. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, we, we, we're not spoiling it if you do remember it. The the, the animal, little like uh, Pikachu, P- mm-hmm. uh, the, Pikachu we... a, a, a animal in uh, Nausicaa turns up in Laputa. Do you remember that? Uh, so I was just wondering if there's a connection there, if you knew there was a connection to, to the universe it's, or is... There's not really, I think. No, because definitely Nausicaa is like, really, well, I was going to say, heavy science fiction, but of course I'm then going on to talk about a movie that has a fucking castle in the sky with giant robots. <laughs> so, uh, there's, uh, that's grounded. There's, uh, it's not even like fantasy and science fiction, they're still... But it is like basically different universes, like... Uh-huh. So, so maybe it's just a fun tip of the hat to the other yes, movie. Really? Because the, the creature only turns up like uh, at, on, on the shoulder of like one of the uh, dormant robots at the, uh, uh, during the ending of uh, Laputa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, like? Nausicaa is pretty much a pet to the like, uh-huh. lead. So I think it's just basically a throwback. Uh-huh. Like maybe that island floated across dimensions and oh. bitch like that. You have, you have a research project, Mr. Sutherland, to, <laughs> to do now. <laughs> uh, you, uh, uh, you know, a college thesis or like a big essay on the connection between Ghibli movies. I'll do a Google search. <laughs> A.K.A. I'll do it. I, I did a Google search. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the title of uh, one of the titles. I just print out the, the results. Yep. Not even the pages, just the results. I made this. Mm-hmm. So that's Miyazaki up to that point, up until the mid-80s, I guess. So, um, I think it's ideal time for a caffeine break. And when yeah. we get back, we will discuss the plot and background of the film. And a little bit of music in between, a little bit suitable music, DJ Sue. <laughs> no, not Iron Maid. Ah. Welcome back. Uh... This is it, right into Laputa Castle in the Sky from 1986. And basic plot is a young boy, Pazu, and the girl, Shita, and her magic crystal must race against pirates and foreign agents in search for a legendary floating castle. My kind of synopsis, short and sweet. Mm-hmm. So a little background on the film. Um, of course, written and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. It was the first film created and released by Studio Ghibli themselves. It was later retitled to Castle in the Sky for international release, and that often dropped the Laputa off of the title, as it's similar to the Spanish word and phrasing, the whore. Oops. Yep, I'm pretty sure this was... I do faintly remember trying to talk, have this conversation with Mike Banner, Ah, yeah. in, in our past podcasts 
It's something like, I'm pretty sure I've got a picture of Tunisia and the caption Spanish whore underneath them. Yeah, you're very, you're very correct. It was the last banner podcast uh, pre-Korea, so it's a good one and a half years ago now. So. Good lord. Good, good, good memory, Mr. Sabla. You, uh. you remember the Spanish whore, like, <laughs> the, the <laughs> crucial key moments in POF history. Everyone remembers the time when, of Spanish When, when I put Tony Jaa's Spanish all together. <laughs> Son of a bitch is still after me. Uh, the castle's name was changed in Spain, therefore, to the La Pantu, which uh, the title actually changed, carried over to known other Spanish-speaking countries, including Britain, but eventually... The original release title got restored in Britain when uh, Optimum Asia picked up Ghibli for a collection for the release on home video. In Japanese, it doesn't actually mean anything in, in particular. The word Laputa actually comes from uh, Jonathan Swift's uh, Gulliver's Travels, the, fi- the flying island of Laputa, a kingdom devoted to the arts of music and mathematics but unable to use them for practical ends. Do you remember that uh, reference in Gulliver's Travels, if you ever read it? No. I've not even seen, like, the Jack Black one. I doubt they could bring <laughs> it up in Jack Black's version of it. <laughs> Lapierre is credited by the character in the film Colonel Muska with having been behind the biblical events and sacred Hindu legends. This connected to the world of Lapierre, to our Earth, and the Western European civilization as do uh, the medieval castle architecture of parts on the fort on the ground, uh, the Gothic half-timbered buildings of the village near the fort, and the Welsh mining town architecture, clothing and even the ground vehicles of Pazu's homelands, and the Victorian ambience of the pirate ships. On the Welsh inspiration, Miyazaki first visited Wales in 1984 and witnessed the miners' strike firsthand. And he returned to the country back in 86, preparing for the pure, which he said uh, reflected on his Welsh experience. The movie was dubbed into English twice, uh, first upon release in Japan with foreign distribution and later in 1998 when Disney picked up the movie, uh, featuring the voices of Anna Paquin of Piano and X-Men fame, now obviously a regular on the True Blood TV show, and uh, James Vanderbeek of Dawson's Creek. Fame. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've not even added fame to our notes. It just he, he was actually in a very good movie called Angus that, that people unfortunately has uh, forgotten about uh, bullying. He played a bully in Angus. He was really good in that, so people should check out that, out that rather than Dawson's. <laughs> well, it, it comes back to like Kevin Smith, and since I only remember him really for Jane Silent Bob Strike Back as the one that didn't fuck the pie. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's pretty much it. Uh, where has he gone? Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably... Ah, uh, fuck him. Medicare. Yeah. And uh, Luke, Squi- Luke, Squi- Luke Skywalker and the Joker himself, Mark Hamill, also provides the voice of, uh, I think it's Colonel Muska. That's right. He's a great voiceover artist, uh, Mark Hamill. You know, yes. uh, his second career. I mean, uh, that, 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 that's really cool. He was never much of an actor on camera. But, you know, he found his voice, literally, uh, doing, you know, uh, a great job. He, he has character in that voice. I mean, mm-hmm. for video games and shit like that, he uh, full throttled the old LucasArts uh, point-and-click adventure game. He played uh, uh, several characters, including the villain in that. So, and, and probably for the bat- recent Batman games in on the PlayStation yeah. 3 and Xbox, he, play, he does the joke, yeah? Aye, fucking crazy sadistic. 
because I think that's even linking back to because he done the I think Batman animated series. He also was the Joker in them. Uh-huh. So I think that was also like the clear connection. You have to get the right men to do the voices. But he played uh, Cockknocker in uh, James Bond <laughs> and Bob Strikes Back as well. Yes. Another thing is like, is like <laughs> you don't remember him for Star Wars. It's it's the guy with the big fucking cock-knocking fist. It was planned for a video release in America, but it was actually was decided to be put into theatres instead. The financial failure of Princess Mononoke meant Laputa actually suffered a further delay, though. Finally, it was released alongside uh, Kiki's Delivery Service and Spirited Away on home video in 2003 in America. Yeah, I guess that uh, tracks back to what I was mentioning about uh, the Miramax uh, mm-hmm. handling of Princess Mononoke. I think is uh, pe- people don't think they handled it very well or promoted it very well because essentially this was better than their own product, you know. This, this was better than a Disney product or anything Miramax had plans. I think <laughs> there, there was kind of that thing, we don't want to push this foreign stuff too hard. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's an acclaimed film and uh, all of that, so I don't think uh, its reputation has suffered uh, along the way. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, I'm hoping to see it during this series, so who knows. Uh, so it's better that I talk about this because Stu is uh, going to cry when talking about this person who provided the score. <laughs> the, the regular, the regular good old Yo Hisaishi. And uh, it's the, the main theme of this uh, 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 movie. Uh, it, it does make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's damn beautiful. And I've heard it somewhere before and I'm fucking annoyed why I can't recognize where I've heard it before. Uh, probably in a later Ghibli film a variation of it has uh, played because uh, I think uh, Joe has been known to like... Uh, you know, he's inventive, of course, but to rearrange his scores a little bit to suit different movies. But when I heard it, I've heard this. So, but maybe also in a Hong Kong movie where, you know, where that featured stolen music from the pewter. <laughs> you never know. Uh, so his score is by Joe... Uh, Hisaishi and the film Laputa Casting the Sky won a handful of awards including Best Anime at the 9th Anime Grand Prix as uh, voted by the readers of Animation. We talked about that in the um, first episode. Mm-hmm. Special Recommendation Award the Central Committee for Children's Welfare and a special award to Miyazaki and uh, Takahata Revival of Japanese Movies. So it, uh, it struck a chord probably. Maybe Jap- uh, Japanese cinema was in, uh, you know, had, had taken a downturn. I don't know, uh, but uh, it's a it's a nice sounding award, you know, revival. <laughs> but uh, speaking a little bit about the international distribution, uh, G- Ghibli has been known to like taking a stance to, you know, retain the integrity of their movies. You know, preferably no cuts, but some minor Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli approved alterations took place for the late 90s Disney version, including adding off a background chat that you can hear that in the beginning of the film. Uh, and uh, Joe Hisaishi was commissioned to rework and extend his original, mainly synthesizer composed 39-minute soundtrack into a 90-minute piece uh, done by Symphony Orchestra in an effort to make the film more accessible to you as audiences who are accustomed to a more substantial musical uh, accompaniment. So, uh, and to be honest, I, I, I think that was a bad choice. I, I, I like the reduced score of the original much more, uh, to be honest. Uh, also, references to uh, Robert Louis, uh, Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island was removed, uh, as was the reference to Jonathan Swift's uh, Gulliver's Travels which is possibly because of copyright reasons. Uh, yeah. 
um, it's uh, spoken of uh, when uh, they see the first picture of Laputa in the movie and I think uh, Patsu is talking about uh, mentioning, he mentions Gulliver's Travels it's like one second and uh, that they basically uh, removed and said something else in the uh, English dub uh, the, the 2010 DVD release, probably Blu-ray release uh, from this point, omits most of these changes. Uh, apparently it wasn't that popular, uh, some of these changes. So the new score has been removed in favor of uh, Hisaishi's original synthesizer score. And a lot of the added dialogue in the background has been eliminated. So it makes the dub, English dub, closer to the original Japanese uh, uh, soundtrack, if you will. Uh, and uh, I would prefer that, to be honest. Uh, ha- having seen both uh, the original Japanese and the and the uh, Anna Paquin Van der Beek dub, I I, yeah. I, I I prefer the reduced music, and uh, that there's no need for some of the background shot. I noticed it a bit too much, and uh, that meant I didn't really like it as much either. Uh, so, it's uh, a funny aside. Maybe people remember this who were into game at the time. Japanese video game developer Hot B began work on a video game adaptation of Laputa once upon a time. And the final product released in Japan as uh, Kutetsu Teikoko for the Sega Mega Drive video game console. I believe that was a <laughs> 16-bit console when they uh, doing yeah. bit, bit wars. Uh, and this was a shoot-em-up, very different to the source material, obviously. But uh, some design similarities can be seen you know, in the steampunk-esque design in the game that matches the movie and the game was brought onto the western market in 1982 by Claim Entertainment's label Flying Edge under the title Empire of Steel in Europe and Steel Empire in the United States <laughs> you know mm-hmm. maybe what, you can't have an off in the title <laughs> <laughs> market people probably sweated you know bullets <laughs> we got to remove the off and rearrange it, and we did. <laughs> I don't remember this game, but I n- never had a second Mega Drive, to be honest. So, uh... mm-hmm. No, it never rung a bell to me either. Yeah. But actually, this is probably a good time for me to bring up one of these strange little f- things I actually came across. And upon researching today for uh, also this episode, I thought I'd actually just rattle the pewter castle in the sky into. Uh, YouTube and look for. I was really looking for maybe like, in, like stock interview footage or just see if we could come come across any other factoids that we might have not covered so far. Mm-hmm. But I'd actually got linked onto uh, this uh, Minecraft video. Minecraft is like a retro style building game for the PC where people log onto a, like an online cell uh, online server and build worlds with blocks. It really kind of looks like uh, Lego bricks. Yeah. And there's actually this YouTube video where it shows a server which basically was turned into Laputa. It took 63 people 19 hours to recreate the entire castle in the sky oh. with plenty of detail. It features some iron giants. It features like the pirate airships when there was like that one report where everyone was tied up. I had the ship built. Uh, it's a really impressive video, and it, they've got it accompanied with obviously like the music, and it's just got like this obviously edit like camera thing where the person's actually just walking through the castle, through all the rooms, the f- the field filled with flowers, the giants going under the water to the city. Wow! And it's like fucking hell. And that is putting you know your time to good use. I fucking hear that. Sixty-three Terrence, they... people. Yeah, 
in 19 hours. Yeah. <laughs> so we will include, obviously, the YouTube link to this, because it's pretty fucked up, like. <laughs> that is amazing. I don't know. If they, put, oh, if they put that music on there, I'm going to cry. They did. <laughs> People that are creative and that music, they're just going to... And is, like, for the first minute you're watching it, it's like, it's, it just looks like a big pixelated mess. It just kind of looks like a couple <laughs> towers, but it's obviously like them in the making. Is it a time-lapse but... thing? Do they do a time-lapse thing in the video? Um, or is it their real time? It is sort of like a real-time thing, but it does cut to just this one shot. It's basically the shot in the film where they first see Laputa and it's surrounded by clouds and they've just fucking replicated it with these bricks, like just these fucking blocks. Wow. And it's fucking so well done. It's crazy. Very well done, crazy. people. If you're listening, anyone who participated in that, you have my... I haven't seen it yet, but I, 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 I respect that. That is so cool. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. Pretty insane, Al. Yeah. But definitely that'll be in our show post. There is another one... Uh, which is like a second, a second life video where the second life, second life is, I guess it's just this weird virtual reality thing. I think it is really popular in maybe like America where it's sort of like a sim thing. You create your avatar, go into an online world. Oh, so, so, like, so they have an online world where people are acting retarded then. And it's slightly, well, looks slightly more perverted. And there's just somebody else's in like a similar Laputa in the sky where it is, the graphics are better and it is like the proper robots of the films are all being created in this video, but just this weird hentai girl running about in it. It's like, eh, tainted. Mm. (laughs) The Minecraft phone was cooler. But, yeah, that's that one really. So, I think uh, as an aside, because you mentioned the uh, yeah, archive footage and all that, uh, hopefully on the UK DVD and Blu-ray they they have some footage of uh, uh, Joe composing uh, in the studio uh, the original score, which is really cool because obviously it's at that time it's very low-tech equipment and uh, very small equipment as well. You know, he doesn't have a you know huge mixer board or anything when he's, he's mm-hmm. sitting at twiddling. Uh, twiddling knobs and all that, so uh, it's rather cool. Uh, some, some vintage footage of um, of uh, men at work. Mm-hmm. Again, fucking power break. No maiden. <sighs> Stop the maiden. Come in. I'm afraid I'm still cooking. Nothing's ready yet. It took me a long time to clean everything up. Uh, yes? What is it? Uh... Yes? I've finished my work for the moment, and I've come to offer you my help. Well, that's kind of you. Would you please hand me those plates over there? With pleasure, my little angel. What are you doing here? Helping. I thought you said you had a stomachache! I'm in love with you! You? Hello. Move! Too crowded. Hey, what do I look like? A chair? Is there anything I can do? You So we're back. And made Ken watch the Minecraft video. Has it got your seal of approval, man? I cried. <laughs> it is like... It is... It is fantastic one minute 110 into the video that we li- that will link to 
Check, check that out at least. That is amazingly well done. The, Put the sound on. Yeah, it works so well with the music. Yeah. Man, oh, that's respect, people. I have no patience to go through any of that. I just want to walk around, if I can, <laughs> to, to build that. Uh, some mad uh, teamwork, that. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, I think it's that fucking music again just works so well. I think you could just put it to anything that would work. You could, yeah. sit, you could sit and watch last week's UFC and just put it like over da, 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 slowly crying It's his face burst open. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, Morricone music. You know, a guy who did Good, Bad and the Ugly score. You can put that shit on everything. It's ended up in Hong Kong movies and it fits everything. You know, uh, Morricone music is immortal in that regard as well. As well as uh, good old Joe's. Mm-hmm. So it's I really actually got to that point in the show where we actually asked like, so what did you think of the film, Ken? <laughs> I sucked ass. <laughs> <laughs> all that can build up the fucking no, no, hype no. up to it, and then it was like three months before we actually recorded the episode, and it goes on. It's like, eh, it's all right. <laughs> I'll watch like the first hour. Yeah, yeah. two two hours, too too fucking long. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. It's really an amazing film. It is, and I, you know, I, I can't start reviewing it properly because I'm, I'm, in, transfixed, immersed, mesmerized by the quality of the animation and the hand-drawn, you know, quality of the, of, of ah, it's just so amazing. You, you, what continually grabs you. And all this blacks out any kind of reviewing is how damn gloriously beautiful it looks, mm-hmm. and the craftsmanship of the hand-drawn work. And I mean, they, nowadays they do obviously use CG, but it's still it's a hand-drawn look that they're going for, which mm-hmm. makes Laputa. Yeah, it looks older, but not dated in any way. You know, I, I'll put this happily, you know, next to Ponyo, in terms of quality of the animation. It still has that style that you know, it's it seems like that's their agenda most of the time. We're going to retain, you know, a, uh, you know, a, a traditional style in these movies. Uh, to, talking animation alone and drawing alone, and you know, even the mundane images of like the real uh, Welsh-inspired world, you know, the mining <laughs> town. <laughs> even that is, you know, mundane images is not boring grey images. Just, you know, that, that, that's always been the fascination with Japanese animation that the, the amount of detail you see in the likes of, you know, Akira. Mm-hmm. Or, or or this, you know, it's uh, it's hard to get to like like starting liking the film or thinking anything of the film because I, I'm 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 just absolutely mesmerized by by uh, by that. But also in the case of Ghibli, the the merging and meeting of two unrelated worlds and um and otherworldly powers, you know, when when essentially fantasy meets the real world. Uh, in this case, you know, with the crystal being an otherworldly thing and Laputa mm-hmm. being an otherworldly thing. I've always loved that mixture. Um, especially in this film, but, but I, I, it's been evident in, in Ghibli films that, uh, you know, in the likes of Kiki's Delivery Service, things just are that way. Witches exist, witches go to the city to find work. Mm-hmm. And witches have talking cats. Was it a talking cat or just a... Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So... So it's just a matter-of-fact approach, which I always like. So that's what I've taken from Ghibli movies. I don't know if that's something you thought a lot of when watching these movies. So. Mm. Um, ah, it, it does. 
I could have just said in the first half, it does sort of have this natural blend, whereas just like your what is being perceived as like a Welsh mining town, yeah. and then it's just a a girl's body slowly flows down from the sky. And it just fucking kicks off of there with fucking air pirates and... Yeah, and, and it, 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 it flirts with violence early on as well. Iron they, giants. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but you, know, it, you know, they're chasing a girl early on. They're yeah. after her with weapons. You know, whoa, this is darkness and, you know, the, the grey steel design armed forces. Mm-hmm. You know, they're after the innocent. What the hell is this? Were they on a, like a cynical run early on in the Ghibli... In the Ghibli history, so mm-hmm. and obviously this is no fucking news to Japan, but it's a, it's an animated film, but it's really pretty adult as well. Like mm-hmm. in the sense of like the violence, like even there's like a shot where General Muscat just shoots the lead character in the face. Yeah, a lot but, of people die in the movie. There's mm-hmm, mass, like, there's mass death in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's not to the point where I'm actually saying the lead character gets killed off with like a bullet deflects off his goggles, but Jesus, just the thought of pointing a gun and shooting a kid in the face is fucking strong for like a, I reckon a PG animated film. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's, uh, is it you or PG in the UK, by the way? Ah, uh, it's probably a, wait, look like PG. Right, yeah, I seem to remember that from the from, from the recent release, and uh, PG is probably correct, you know, because it has, you know, some uh, some scary scenes. For for general audiences, I mean. Yeah. Uh, so, but 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 then again, this darkness and connection to real world and uh, real love, hurt and death, w- <laughs> w- was not un- uncommon for Ghibli. Because I I don't think, but correct me if I'm wrong, Grave of the Fireflies is not that many years. Uh, or uh, was done just a few years after this one? Was it? Uh, Ten years on, on spot, but, but but anyway, uh, it, it's you know it, they they do. Fireflies is eighty. Right, so just two years after, so they they do dead to go dark and real. Typically, uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't just a you know a, a animated studio uh, making kids movies. Mm. And uh, and engraved the fireflies. I, I I don't know. Is this suitable for kids? Do you think? Or is it mainly? I got just too fucking sad for kids. Yeah. But the, ho- it, the, ho- the horrors of war isn't necessarily. It's it's more more along the lines. It almost feels like a a history video we get shown at school. Mm-hmm. It's not really a film you should enjoy. It's really just a story that's you, uh, you're being told. Yeah. It, <laughs> a true story in the sense is. Oh man. Yeah. I'll, I'll happily, I'll happily take that on and uh, hey. see, 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 see if we can make each other cry on the podcast. Oh. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, I, I have a really slight, uh, slight experience still so far with Ghibli. So I mean, uh, I, I can only draw upon Spirited Away and House Moving Castle and Kiki's Delivery Service. But but what, what I take away from all of those and what I also dig is, and that includes the Puta, is that the settings. Mm-hmm. Are as far from Japanese as you can yes. possibly come. It's mainly set in a Welsh mining town. It's <laughs> essentially that. It's not like it's Hakukuku uh, Japan. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a, it's a Welsh mining town, and everything is uh, you know westernized, uh, but not uh, but but it's not betraying you know the Japanese art of animation. You know, uh, 
that way. You know, it feels very Japanese because it, you know. Uh, so, so, so I always thought that was really cool. In Kiki's Delivery Service, there's Swedish influences there with the coastal town and uh, House Moving Castle had a sort of a Victorian in English uh, setting, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. And uh, Spirited Away is just weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Know, it, it's not, it's not, you can't identify where that is set. But mm -hmm. At least I don't think so. I think it, it pretty much, I think it, it does, I think it just starts in Japan and like, that is like one of the, I always have to think in a sense that there is a big difference between the Ghibli work that is based on things they've adapted, like things along the lines of Howl's Moving Castle and Tales of Earthsea. Like, these are things that are adapted from books. and right. Or, like, of course, now with, like, Borrow Variety and uh, Ponyo all have, like, some, some sort of original substance behind them. Mm -hmm. Whereas Spirited Away is just this fucking untapped well of Whoa. The weirdest, scary shit that isn't scary. Yeah, I don't want to go to that bathhouse. But it isn't scary somehow. I don't know. Yeah, it's just... Uh, <laughs> I just, I just uh, again, I'm just thinking this strangely adult... I think that's, that's possibly a 12A as well. I think yeah, if yeah, it, yeah, that's I can imagine that. But, man, there's a, <laughs> so many fucking powerful films, though. Uh, I mean, it's... It's uh, it, it all makes the movies timeless and cool. Uh, the ones I've seen, you know, uh, right. and and you, you you can play the game like ask anyone who's watching Kiki or Laputa, mm -hmm. uh, or or maybe a later nineties one, Princess Mononoke, for instance. Yeah. yeah. When was this made? And then it was like, oh, Princess Mononoke, they like say, uh, you know, last year. But no, <laughs> ten <laughs> years earlier than that, and all that. So they, it really makes the movie timeless. And, and cool, and that's you know largely manual efforts. Mm -hmm. now, nowadays they use uh, obviously computers to a, to a large degree, but man. Mm -hmm. Now looking at it just now, fucking Spirit of the Way is actually going to be ten years old next month. Yeah, like that yeah. film's already a decade old. Yeah, that is insane because oh, that has really gotten to the point where I'm not sure how many computer use it was. It might be. Completely, of well, it might all be just fucking hand drawn, but it's still beautiful looking film. And you wouldn't have guessed. Well, you 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 couldn't have guessed when it was made because it's just. It I mean, I, like I, 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 I mean, it's not like it came out when the trend was that. Yeah. You know, because the, the, these movies to me never corresponded to a trend. Maybe people who follow anime can see like more easily where that they drew influence upon something. That was a trend for a few years in anime, but uh, mm -hmm. I don't think diehard fans of, of, of anime would think that these are aged films in that regard. Uh, mm -hmm. The Puta maybe, but to a degree, but still, the amount of stuff that goes on is just mind-boggling, jaw-dropping, the intention, the detail, visual touches, the fantasy, you know, mm -hmm. the, the creative imagery that came, comes from, you know, artists' fantasy. And everybody being on top of the game. It's absolutely jaw-dropping. And me mentioning all this, I haven't even started reviewing the movie because I, I get stuck on these details. It's just mm -hmm. absolutely in awe <laughs> watching it, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm not a reviewer anymore. I'm just a spectator. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. be a reviewer anymore when movies are this, 
you know, jaw dropping to look at. Uh, but uh, but it is a you know to to start it off a little bit. It is a movie about friendship and redemption, world domination, and kind of purity as well. And mm-hmm. uh, mixed in with kind of a you know uh, and and. Exciting chase, uh, chase movie, and action movie to a degree. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which which brings in like the the uh, aviation and the aircraft design, which uh, you, you you can spend half an hour talking about that. That is cool. Mm-hmm. All the ships and uh, little uh, uh, flying uh, thingy jibs that uh, the uh, grandpa and all the uh, all the boys use. You know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. it's just absolutely wow. So much imagination, in it? Yeah, I mean, it's probably you know they they probably draw up on so some real life design, but still, I mean, it's uh, it's uh, ah, it's quite surprising actually because Lapita really falls in the category of what took Stu so fucking long to get to the party when Lapita was really one of the first films. I'm really trying to think back. I don't think I mentioned this on our last podcast. I th- think I mentioned it basically when we're off air and I talk about my first experience with the movie but if I did I do apologize but you're about to hear the same story again in the sense that I came home from work one day and my parents were on holidays so my partner and my friends were at the house and I noticed like upon looking in the living window I noticed them in the house and I got into the house they're all gone and they're just like wait I seen everyone here and realised everyone was still sort of hiding in my back garden. It's sort of a, a, taboo, a taboo thing of inviting friends around when I'm not here. Margaret had to think, right, I'm going to have to hide these people. <laughs> but like when they all came back in, they were actually probably a good hour into uh, La Puta Castle in the Sky. And all they were doing was just singing the praise for it. And I was like, man, I missed the first hour. There's really no point in me watching it. And it just turned out to be this thing that I'd, I'd think for a couple of years since then I'd never go around to watching it it was like the total welcome to Dong Mat Goal syndrome again <laughs> but I, I honestly honestly can't remember the first time watching that film part of me thinks I might have recorded it off of television like what I did with Kiki's Delivery Service or did I get rental of it uh, but it was one of these things where I'd Actually, I did kind of fact. No, I never bought it. Well, I, I own it on D- DVD. Maybe I did buy it. What the fuck? Of course I bought it. I own it on DVD. What are you so, saying, Stuart? Somehow you have seen it. <laughs> yes. I must have just fucking bought it and watched it. Wow, that would make a lot of fucking sense. Man, you could tell we just had like a big glass of juice. But it was like one of these things where I just put on knowing it's got a reputation. People like this one. Like, people I know really like this one. I didn't want to go into it and then be let down or, like, no one wants to go into something with high expectations, fearing that they might not be fulfilled. But this, like, it was just this amazing two hours where you're, and it is, like, over, like, an hour into the movie, just, like, when it finally gets to the pewter and you're, like, it almost feels like the film starts afresh. Oh, yeah. And it's just that soundtrack. It's suddenly... It's the same soundtrack, but it's the same main song, but it seems completely different. It's like that fucking... Mine, it's basically Minecraft created that one scene 
from the film, like one of the most notable scenes of the film. Like it is just fucking a masterpiece that scene where the reveal, the music, the fucking colourful scenery and it's just I mean, it isn't fucking jaw dropping. It's a nice contrast to it like the grey first half in a way. Yeah. You know, with a lot of explosions and violence and uh and mm. and we get that break when we get to Laputa uh, mm-hmm. you know, where where they explore the the island. Uh, it's you know, it's a that friendship between those characters, Patsu and uh, Shita, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's kind of interesting. It's a very adult relationship, in my view. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are very physical with, with each other. I mean, it, it, it's never a romantic angle, really. But uh, I, I I I I wasn't feeling unnerved or uncomfortable. I just thought uh, it was really uh, it was really a, a mature relationship. And he he he's like a. Uh, Patsu is a kind of a fascinating, determined force mm-hmm. within this real slash unreal story, in a way. And uh, it's all about redeeming his father that everyone, everyone said was uh, lying when he said he found this uh, mythical castle in the sky and he has this partial uh, photograph uh, yeah. taken of it. And uh, so, you know, he, he, Patsu seems a bit rash, you know. I gotta redeem my father, redeem my father, redeem my father, redeem my father. Fuck you! I'm gonna redeem my father. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it seems like he's uh, he wants to go. He wants to go. Mm-hmm. Really, to the point in the film where like the 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 pirates were saying to him, like you're you're going into a fucking old, like tornado," and he's determined. He's like, "It's not." He's like, "Yeah, you're fucking heading right into a tornado." Like there's no just Jesus and the boy's determination still just fucking sails right on in there. Mm-hmm. It's not like you just both of them get fucking torn to pieces and credits come up. But it's, <laughs> credits. It, it's not a fucking it's not like a fucking swift lesson. Like Jesus, don't go into fucking tornadoes. <laughs> and like, now realize, it's a one and a half hour movie. All of a sudden, <laughs> it's not like the second they get there and realize the fucking thing's been torn aback and it's just a still frames. Like that's when I realized my dad was full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> More of the story. Mm-hmm. No, no, but they both need to go to Laputa. It's quite crucial for both uh, to go to Laputa. We, 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 we're not doing too much spoilers, by the way, uh, listeners. Uh, in mm-hmm. in this case, uh, you know, she, she, she without revealing, she, she's kind of forced on a path. She has a destiny, uh, you know, and uh, she belongs to Laputa. I'll say that much, uh, and. Uh, and Patsu is on his path of discovery for their adventures, so they both need to find it, and they they like form this uh, form this relationship there, where where you know he grows as a man, she becomes a bit of a mother figure to uh, to all the crew on the um, mm-hmm. uh, on the ship. So she grows, and 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 they have this you know uh, several embraces and physical uh, physical interactions that seem rather adult for. What is essentially kids, but but I I never minded that at all. It wasn't it wasn't uncomfortable. I thought it was fresh that that there was an actual connection there. It wasn't you know about to lead to sex or anything, of course. But mm-hmm. uh, but I quite dug that, and uh, you know it's I think it's less unnerving in the Disney dub because both of the characters sound a lot more older than yes. the, than the Japanese dubs. Uh, Van mm-hmm. Dyke and Anna Paquin, uh, Van der Beek essentially. I mean it's all of a sudden Patsu is. Uh, you know, young adult, as opposed mm-hmm. to the 12, 13 year old. That would be, but both the original, uh, original English dub uh, echoed, and of course the original Japanese 
uh, voice talent if it's male or female I don't know it's actually female in the first original English dub so it's mm. a girl uh, dubbing Patsu <laughs> or a woman and it's so funny when watching it last time really just like researching for this episode I'd actually convinced myself it was like Matthew Broderick was doing the voice of Patsu <laughs> I didn't care where the fuck got for him I just listened to the voice and like that's Inspector Gadget isn't it <laughs> yes and the fucking credits come at the end it's like Fucking Vanderbeek. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> I'd rather have Borg Broderick than Vanderbeek. Well, I like I like neither. <laughs> <laughs> they they I like I'm pretty sure there is some hatred towards the Disney dubs, but after I admit I do watch like all my Ghibli film stubs. Yeah, it, this is okay. It, it doesn't doesn't change the experience. I've like some of them I've received have been like Japanese only and I've watched them and oh. like just the same, but it is, I think there's just some more comfort in watching it dubbed, and yeah. it's just, it's done well, and it's it surprisingly, like, like, a good surprising effort has been put into dubbing it, it's not, strangers, not saying that fucking no names aren't worthy of it, but no, they do have, like, a, a surprising... voiceover artists everywhere, aye, so, I mean... Aye, and it does, like... It's, it's like there's so many A-listers that have done work for it. We we rattled off all the names on the first show, mm-hmm. and it's, it's like people that even went on to bigger things now. It's like also this never attribute to their success, but it's nice just to see that everyone has kind of or like Hollywood is aware of it. If not, when they do go into it, they're fucking opened into this fucking vast treasure of movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's all about them being accessible and and my oh, my only problems with this dub is is mainly for the sound design i i don't like the the added chatter i know it only lasts for like brief moments but i did notice it and i and and i didn't like the extension of uh, the score it felt a bit fake but the voice work no problem at all mm-hmm. it's it's just a note that needs to be made that the the character sounds older because for, obviously Vanderbeek is not going into the voice studio and saying, Hello, I'm Patsy! Yeah. <laughs> no, he, he's not doing that. He sounds like... Uh, he, he, he raises his voice ever so slightly, you know. But... Uh, uh, so I, I have no problem with that. And uh, and uh, it's funny though, it seems like for every... every Ghibli movie, the A-list gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully they won't get Harrison Ford to do it. You know, <laughs> the, the the joke that uh, goes on at Hollywood Babylon podcast that uh, Harrison mm-hmm. Ford mumbles everything, that'll be the death of Ghibli. <laughs> and <laughs> what was that, Cheetah? T- talking to Miyazaki, the director, you know, because mm-hmm. he's a filmmaker. You know, he has to t- tell a story as, as well. I mean, it's he's so great to me at the beats when bringing out again the otherworldly stuff and I want to single out the cave scene where all uh, the rocks light up on the floor in the <clears> walls in the ceiling uh, you know they, they meet this old man who you know can I don't know it was like he said he communicated with you know the element in the rocks and it, you know you're so in awe of what's happening because it's a really cool thing where, you know, the dark cave lights up the way it does. And it's the same elemental material as in Sheeta's crystal as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, albeit more powerful in her crystal. And, I mean, I, I, 
uh, it's probably what I take away from the pew of a dip into the supernatural is so mesmerizing and uh, how the characters react and uh, it's really hard to do justice in, in words uh, the kind of awe you're in but you're hooked you know mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and you can put like an awe on the soundtrack and it will, st- will still be cool uh, to me yeah uh, so, so, so that makes with the sights of high technology again and massive ships and epis, epic destruction. You know, you bring in the second half of the movie, where, and that's when the movie you know hits a flow from mm-hmm. from, from essentially the one hour mark or whenever the dormant robot that they have found uh, and show Sheeta that uh, that turns out to be robots that are uh, are, are from Laputa. <laughs> When that robot wakes up and you essentially have a big King Kong mecha movie, mm-hmm. and that action man, I mean, that is that is good. That is well done. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and I, you know, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a good scene to have before you know you, you you come to the section that you talked about when they actually go to Laputa and it turns very dreamy all of a sudden. The movie, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Anything you want to say about that, like action uh, again, the action fest that the movie turns out to be? Yeah. It does. It's almost it. It could. It's almost really akin to actually like a final act, action sequence to any other film, because it does. Is like they're in the castle. It's burning in flames. This robot's obliterating and everything. The army's fighting. It almost is like the climax to a, a like your average film, but it's it's again the story's just getting started, and it is just this mind-boggling destruction. It, it's, it boggles your mind that like shit like this was hand-drawn. Mm. Like, I reckon I'll make fucking frames per second and all this crap, but it's... It's just so fucking crazy and... I mean, it's a long feels... movie, detailed animation, that mm-hmm. surely takes a long, long, long time. Uh, it feels like so like ahead of its time as well. Mm-hmm. Like, Fucking, this shit blew my mind across the wall in '84. Even though I, n- I never existed at that point in time, but yeah, if, <laughs> sure. if it still resonates, then that speaks to you know quality of the movie. I watched it for the first time this year, 2011, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I watched it twice now, and it's still a like, whoa, whoa, and uh, uh, and and when you get to La Puta, you know you can have that breather, and mm-hmm. uh, it's really where the movie. You know, it gets a little deep because uh, they, they they talk about you know the when they are in that dreamy nature that that is Laputa and that that is untouched by man and it really is supposed to be untouched by man, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, which is not a you know a big old stupid hippie message or anything or new age message, but it's it's kind of really beautiful despite having. You know the robots there. Uh, as uh, I, I don't know if you you can say they were, were protectors, but they, they they were part of Laputa. And, and the thing that almost made me cry really was that when they found the robot that had all the the moss, uh, moss and green on it. And that was not a depressing image uh, as as Patronishita talk about. It's like it was almost like that robot found f- f- found you know when it expired found mm-hmm. a peace and a you know uh, uh, was you know in tune with nature. Almost, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, but but then again, these robot the robots that are all over the computer can be awakened to do 
heavy duty destruction and there's there's almost like you know nuclear bomb imagery in the film mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and, uh, and it's so strange to see everything at peace and even like their concern for like flowers mm-hmm. like for the fact that it's landed on it and they're just like their aircraft had just land like trampled the flowers yeah. and the robots just seem concerned over that yeah. just these giant iron Actual iron giants. Yeah, and love, love the animation of them. That 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 their arms aren't like very stiff, but they're, mm-hmm. they're like uh, uh, almost rubbery. The arms, the arm design. Mm-hmm. Again, I fucking love it. The fact that there's like life-size ones built in Japan for the yes. Studio Ghibli Museum. That is sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is pretty badass. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it's fun that that became an image worthy of making. You know. Uh, uh, making a piece of a museum piece, mm-hmm. uh, so, so obviously it meant a lot to to Miyazaki to have to have them represent what they what they represent. Uh, the 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 only thing I can't remember now is that why why Laputa exactly you know was able to be turned into a weapon as well. I, I I'm sorry if I don't remember that properly, but but it's it's all man that kind of can cause this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and disrupt and di- disrupt the flow and the nature of Laputa and then unleash its destructive powers. It's not Laputa itself. It's found its peace in a way. And mm-hmm. I know this sounds deep and very how stone this can, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I really dug it. I, I, it, it. It's nice to have a calm thing before a big old action ending again, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's... Uh, uh, that mass uh, I won't reveal too much but the, 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 there's a lot of death not violence but death at the end of the film and, and, and that image when uh, that evokes you know a nuclear blast is kind of brave for for a movie that isn't necessarily aimed at adults only you know when they test shoot Laputa <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, but so it, uh, you know evil nature of man yeah so, but uh, uh, the joyous elements of the Puta, I think, you know, you know, the characters that turn out to be joyous, you know, the pirates mm-hmm. and their leader, the old hag. Yeah. And the old hag looks exactly like the one in Spirited Way, almost. Mm-hmm. You know, the big beaks nose. Yeah. Uh, they do have a portrayal of their old women. They do seem to be frightful old witches. <laughs> this is the other current theme. But, but this one is sweet. Yes, yes. And uh, endearing goofs of uh, uh, the crew are very endearing goofs. And uh, I'm sure you want to quote the wonderful uh, kitchen scene where Sheeta is uh, brought on to to cook for the crew. It's just like when the the scene is basically one of them says, I finished my work early, is there anything I could help with? And the girl's like, "Um, well, I guess you could peel the potatoes. And when, by the time he gets to the potatoes, he realizes basically like his brother's on the floor washing dishes. <laughs> you said you weren't feeling well. You said you were going to lie down. And like, um, and since he's finished that, another brother walks in with flowers and <laughs> it cuts the shot. Basically, there's like a full kitchen, like five guys doing all this work, and there's still ones coming in, saying like, "Could I help?" And they're like, "No." <laughs> it, it's like. There's just these great comedy moments where it's basically like, it is like the pit, almost the perverted things. Like they've no seen a fucking young lassie before and they're all fucking huddled around her. <laughs> but there is also great moments like in the first half, like when they are being chased 
by the army, and it's like even like when all the the fucking miners they have this fucking test of strength where they burst their shirts open and just tense their muscles. Yes. Then the other guy does it, and then it's just basically this fucking big fight starts, and you're thinking. Why is Pat's like the only one that's not seems to be on anabolic steroids amongst these groups? <laughs> like there always seems to be like this one small child in a fucking town of men. Yeah. But but he's very apt at uh, at uh, doing manual labor though mm-hmm. uh, at his age, you know, uh, uh, helping out the struggling mining town because uh, uh, that's an underlying theme as well that uh, they struggle to, you know. Uh, uh, they struggle to uh, do well uh, financially uh, in the town and uh, and in the mine and all that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a far journey, long journey from from that to like this big Raiders of the Lost Ark type of ending. And mm-hmm. it, it it reminded me watching it now and ha- having played the uh, the PS3 game Uncharted 2, it, it reminded me of the unveiling of uh, Shangri La in Uncharted 2 when they do reach the Puta and uh, find that's uh, the beauty uh, the beauty that's in Shangri-La before they in that case uh, find some very strange uh, monsters in, in Uncharted 2 so it was really it was really cool to like uh, it, it it feels like a, a lot of western influences and, and I think that's what's a, a key for me <coughs> uh, for the movie it really is cool to have a v- very Japanese anime movie that that is uh, e- can easily be taken around the world and be recognized as a movie where where people might not even know it's a Japanese movie because it's it's a designed way it is so um, so uh, you know I can't say enough and uh, and probably haven't said enough uh, other than to go watch it and uh, even watch it with uh, your young ones uh, your eight nine ten year olds I think they'll 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 be surprised mm-hmm. and hooked who knows and it's it's widely available as well. I mean, the UK now has its uh, both DVD and Blu-ray releases from Optimum Asia. That's ranging anywhere between like uh, like seven pounds for the DVD, maybe fourteen, fifteen pounds for the Blu-ray. And if you're you're not convinced, I mean, it's shit can be rented so easily nowadays. Mm. There is no drug. That is, uh, we're not talking about like these. Like Hong Kong laser discs here, like this shit is available. And for our American audience, as we mentioned, Disney have their DVD out there. And if you really want to push the boat out, there is the super snazzy uh, Japanese Blu-ray, yeah, which that's... Ken bought. So yes. Ken, like, is the man to go to if you need to know any more factoids about that pretty fucking disc. Expensive as hell, but why not? Mm-hmm. So I think we've covered it, Ken. Absolutely. What we're mm-hmm. doing next, Stu? Uh, next time, I'm not going to say next week. Never going to say next week. Don't put a time on it. Uh, next time, I think we are really going to jump ahead and try. Obviously, we want to switch up and like tackle all like the directors of Studio Ghibli, uh, like the old and the new. So next week, fuck, I said it. <laughs> uh, next time. We're gonna go ahead and watch uh, my neighbor, the ya- the Yamamadas, the Aizo ah. Takahata film, which is, like I'm not gonna say anything. I'm saving it for the show, but seriously, 
another film. Check it out. And uh, that's also available in the UK. And our good friends at FoistFilms.com uh, reviewed it. So mm-hmm. if you're curious to see what that's about, and you, uh, I think you'll be surprised uh, watching the screen captures that it seems like a very simplistic film in its look compared to what we've discussed today, which is filled to the brim with, uh, with details. Mm-hmm. This is stripped uh, down. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but it's fucking... Aye, no more. Can't say anymore. Can, but, uh, can I just ask you a final question? If uh, maybe it's hard to answer, but uh, in terms of Laputa, is it like in your top three, or you love so many of the Ghibli films that it's hard to even do a top five or top nine or whatever? I, I do have a fucking massive respect for most of them, but definitely Laputa is something that's wrestled really into my top three to five. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I, def- I think it probably would be definitely in my top three. Because mm-hmm. it's things like that, and like uh, Howl's Moving Castle was one I eagerly awaited and got on release. And I could watch on an endless loop, it's that, and again with the beautiful soundtracks for Joe uh, Hayasashi. It's just fucking top stuff. I don't know, I, I, I think. One of the ones that that just brings a smile to, me, to my face when thinking about it, and I think uh, because it was so very pleasant, uh, and probably my top movie so far is Kiki's Delivery Service. I, I just thought that was so pleasant and such a great balance between yeah. a movie for kids and adults, uh, and all of those matter-of-fact things about the rules of that world that I mentioned earlier. Uh, witches do exist, and they go to the city, and uh, they 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 need to get a job as well. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> it's all it's all fun and pleasant, and. Uh, uh, so, but but there's still so much more to uh, watch, and I haven't watched my neighbor, my neighbor uh, Yamada. So mm-hmm. it's uh, that's going to be a completely new experience that I haven't heard anything of uh, prior to the review I did read on Voice Films or skimmed through. Rob, I didn't uh, I didn't want to read it before I watched the movie, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's a good opportunity. So I'll I'll, I'll happily I'll happily watch that. And, take mm-hmm. it and I'm about to go through out a couple more bizarre uh, YouTube links to finish the show. Um, there seems to be hundreds of videos of people actually, well, what you'd clearly expect, people actually compu- compose the music from the movie. Mm. There is obviously lots of orchestras doing, like, just rattling Laputa Castle in the sky, and you see orchestras of people, like, doing this, like, doing all the notable music of the movie, but you could also, it's these fan videos of People playing the song on guitar, pianos, flutes, ocarinas, which is something I never knew existed outside of Legend of Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this motherfucker standing here with ocarina doing the theme and like, oh shit, that's real? <laughs> Man, that's fucked up. But uh, the most strangely impressive one is the voice trumpet. Huh? It's... It is. I, I'm pretty sure it's in the first page of results when you actually Google Laputa Castle in the Sky. Fuck, I'm, I'm using the retarded term Google instead of searched. Uh, the searched term Castle in the Sky on YouTube. And it's just this guy saying, right, I'm going to do... He's like a, a beatbox type guy. He's this Japanese guy. And he says, right, I'm going to do basically the voice trumpet where he is just holding an imaginary trumpet and just like piercing his lips, making trumpet sounds, and it actually replicates like some of the trumpet music from the movie perfectly. 
Wow. I was like, that's strangely impressive. We'll try and uh, find that link for you. I, I, I've got, yeah. I have them all, don't worry. All right. And one that I'm going to finish our show with is another bizarre one I found is actually a group that do heavy metal covers of Studio Ghibli music. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Yes, uh, they're called the Imaginary Flying Machines, a.k.a. Princess Ghibli, because it's a female lead singer. All right. And they've covered the Laputa theme. And it's kind of badass. Some of the songs are hit and miss, but it's fucked up. Heavy metal covers of, like, fucking Joe Hayasashi music. Fully licensed. <laughs> so if I if I've got my act together, you should be hearing the outro for uh, this for that fucking metal cover playing on the episode just now. So we'll wrap it up there. I'm your host this evening, Stuart Sullen, and joining me we've had Cannibal Song. And speak to you next time. Bye.